0: One of the most important lessons that I have learned is, and I've learned it the hard way, divest before you invest. Anytime you have a top goal, whether that's training for a triathlon or writing a book or learning a new language or being the best PTO parent, what are you going to divest of from your calendar and your commitments so that you can invest in your top priority?
1: Welcome to the OpStars Podcast. We host authentic conversations with revenue operations professionals running the show behind the scenes, holding things together, doing whatever it takes to innovate to solve problems, build processes, and manage the data to build a modern revenue engine that powers a great buyer experience. I'm your host, Rachel McBrarity. Hello, I'm Rachel McBrarity, CCO of Lean Data. Welcome to today's episode. I'm joined by Karen Mangia. Welcome, Karen. Hi, it's great to be here. Not so lonely in my home office when I have this kind of connection
0: with you and your audience.
1: I love it. And your home office looks fantastic. I'm going to have to up my game here. I need more than a plant. <laughs> so Karen is a Wall Street Journal bestselling author and the VP of Customer and Market Insights at Salesforce. She's the author of Success from Anywhere, Create Your Own Future of Work from Inside Out, Working from Home, Making the New Normal, Work for You, Listen Up, How to Tune into Customers and Turn Down the Noise, and also Success for Less. So four books, Karen, that's super impressive. Karen's also a prolific blogger, sought after media interview, and has been featured in Forbes, is a regular contributor to Thrive Global, Authority Magazine, and ZDNet. She is one of the most sought-after thought leaders in the world, sharing her thought leadership with over 10,000 organizations during the course of her career. Thinkers 360 named her number nine on their list of global thought leaders and influencers on health and wellness, and number 12 for mental health, and one of the top 150 B2B thought leaders to follow. Today, we're going to tap into Karen's expertise on this new world of work and how we can be successful in our roles and in our organizations. I would love to start, share with us, how did you get on this journey to becoming a thought leader? I mean, you and I met at Cisco, you know, we're both working in similar space and customer experience and insights, but what prompted you to to go on this journey? My thought leader journey started at Cisco during that
0: customer experience leadership role that you mentioned. We were in the process of transforming how we listen to customers and the measurements that we were using for reporting. And as part of what we were discovering along the way, I felt we had some insights worth sharing. And that inspired me to start a blog. And I published it on LinkedIn. I kept it pretty simple. And what I found was a community of like-minded people who would contribute to those ideas, make them better. And it helped me connect with other people who were passionate about that kind of work. And so that was my initial foray. Now, when I go back and read those blogs now, they're terrible. And that's how thought leadership goes. You have to offer your thoughts, put them out there, give other people an opportunity to make them better, make those thoughts their own. And it becomes an iterative process. I I asked someone once, how do you become a great thought leader? And I'll never forget what he said. He said, if you want to write, write. If you want to speak, speak. And I thought, okay, well, I can read and write and speak, I think. So I'll just keep practicing at that. And I did. That blog is ultimately what brought me to Salesforce because people started reading it and they recruited me to join the organization. And I kept that blogging momentum going. And what really changed everything for me to go from blogs to books was giving a speech to conclude a women working in technology conference. The host asked me to deliver a motivational speech to close the conference. I thought that sounded horrible. And I did it anyway because the person was so nice. Do you have these people? You can't say yep. no to them. And so I framed up a story about learning how to pause. And the summary or the punchline of that pitch was the pauses we choose are more powerful and empowering than the ones that are inflicted upon us. So, choice versus crisis, essentially, and the power of pausing. And there was a woman sitting in the audience who contacted me afterwards, and she said, I want to talk to you about that speech. Now, in my head, I thought, well, she just wants me to repeat that speech to another group. I could not have been more wrong. (laughs) Poor predictive analytics on my part. She said, when you started speaking and sharing with us your setback to comeback story, the room got quiet, and people connected with your story. Of a major medical setback, and you know a crisis of confidence that followed, and a long get well journey. And the reason people connected with your story is because you still work in corporate America, and you're willing to tell us what went wrong, and what you've discovered. And it made everyone feel so normal. You know what you need to do. You need to turn that speech, expand the concept, and you need to write a book. (laughs) I was like, I do. Now it turns out this woman helps women launch businesses for a living. And so she became a coach, a mentor, and a guide to help me with success with less and ultimately get that concept trademarked. But what I saw in the book was an opportunity to reach more people, be more of service, and make a greater impact. And the first book really led to opportunities for three more.
1: It kind of gives me chills to hear the dots connecting for you as you really went out to share to connect with people, to learn, and that giving has kind of given back to you and seems very much the core of of how you're operating here. You're very much about helping, helping the community, giving to the community. Is that a core of of how you think? Is community a big piece of this for you? Creating community
0: and being of service is my top value. I mean, I love to connect people. I love to connect the unconnected, whether that's data points or people or networks. And building community is critically important to me. And what I've discovered as I've reached this point four books and thousands of blogs and keynotes and speeches and podcast appearances into this is really reconnecting with or understanding my lifelong passion for stories and storytelling. I mean, as a kid, I read so many books and starting in about 5th or 6th grade my grandparents would take all of their grandchildren for a week every summer without our parents and i would spend the week writing a play and casting my cousins in it running rehearsals directing them so when our parents came to pick us up you know we were we were doing a play <laughs> I, you know flash forward one of my undergraduate degrees is in broadcast telecommunications you know and i did research in college i look at you know sales and customer experience i mean Really, all of that is about storytelling, whether those are my stories or stories of customers or stories of other thought leaders or influencers. And so, you know, I think that combination of building and creating community through stories is, is a passion and a, and a way to make a contribution. Love that.
1: I was going to ask you, how do you balance writing with your day job? Because I'm sure there's a lot of folks out there who go, how does she do it? These are a series of questions I get asked
0: consistently when people hear, you work at a big company and you write books, three of which I published during the pandemic. And as a result, people will ask me, how do you do it all? And the answer is, I don't. Okay. So one of the most important lessons that I have learned is, and I've learned it the hard way, divest before you invest. Anytime you have a top goal, whether that's training for a triathlon or writing a book or learning a new language or being the best PTO parent, what are you going to divest of from your calendar and your commitments so that you can invest in your top priority? And so when I am writing a book, I am not making Pinterest perfect meals, okay? When I am writing a book, I am also not trying to learn a language and train for a triathlon. Being crystal clear about what success means to you in any given moment creates a filter to help decide what you need to divest and where you need to invest. And then the other critically important aspect of that that I've learned is when you go through a big push, the big deliverable at work, you know, the big project, the big readout, the book, press pause because we all have to, you know, hit the reset button so that chaos or commitment doesn't become a way of living and being and operating. You know, routines, rituals and boundaries are helpful because they help us press pause and delineate between our work and life. So, I do not do it all. I do get plenty of sleep every night and I don't do it all at once. So, that's the secret that I've discovered. Divest before you invest be clear about your top priority. That's terrific. I
1: think I remember you saying to me after you had published your first book that the way you accomplished it was you broke it down into smaller pieces, into chapters. You held yourself to timelines to getting things done. So you were very disciplined, but you also mapped it out so that you knew how many hours to balance against your day job, really making sure that you prioritized, but you also made it something realistic as you marched towards your goal. And you know, let's say, by the end of that nine months, if there's nine chapters, your book is done, but you have made it more of an incremental step. and that really stuck with me.
0: Yes, well, two pieces of advice or coaching I received during that first book that I have continued to sustain, even when creating a customer presentation. First, think about writing in a blog, you know, seven hundred fifty to a thousand words, and put some of those concepts out. And check what people engage with, what they respond to, where they want more. If you write 750 to a thousand words at a time, you get into a writing motion. And then really a book becomes sort of a series of blogs that you connect together. I've used that with each of the books that I've done and I found that to be immensely helpful. The second is block time on your calendar far in advance, you know, to do some deep work, Focused sprints. And what I've discovered from my colleague Brian Solis, leader in the customer experience space, who wrote a book called Life Scale, is the power of a 90 minute sprint when you need to create something. And that 90 minute sprint looks like you have your your water or your drink near you, all of your devices are off. The only tab that is open is the one you are working on, and you are signed out of everything else, set a timer. A distraction-free 90 minutes when the timer rings, this is the part I added, give yourself a little reward. Take a walk around the block, you know, phone a friend, watch a TED Talk, whatever that looks like for you. Make a cup of tea. And then do another 90-minute sprint if you feel like you've blocked that time and are in that flow. If you're not, call it. Move on to the next one. And I found that 90-minute sprint focus. Helps. I mean, I think coming from the technology world, we're used to an agile methodology. I, I think about that as my creative agile methodology.
1: That's fantastic. I'm definitely gonna try that, love it. So as you you have thought through these ways to be productive, is is this what sort of led you into getting into the topic of being a thought leader on success from anywhere? What I think about is
0: how these storylines are connected. Really, the consistent theme that I talk about is success, right? And at the end of the day, I think success for most people, and we're, we're seeing this right now in big and small ways, is the opportunity to live well and to work well. Now, there's certainly many versions of how to do that underneath, but really, the great aspiration that we are all striving for collectively at the moment is more of what matters, in our lives and in our work lives, which is why we see people reconfiguring work and and changing their relationship work with work in their lives. And so, when I think about, you know, what connects that story, it's offering people frameworks that return you to where success starts, and and success comes from the inside out. You know, everything that you're looking for is available right here, and you know the way that we change a company or a community or a country is one person at a time. And you know, the way we change customer relationships, right, is one person at a time and one customer at a time. And so I think about these building blocks across these books and series and really it's listening, prioritization, pausing, being present and also asking great questions. I mean, if you think about Adam Grant's book Think Again, you Know he uses the analogy of we all go through the process of cleaning out our closets to get rid of things that no longer serve us, but rarely do we revisit our beliefs and say, you know, I think this belief that work needs to happen in an office from nine to five, five days a week maybe no longer serves me. I should get rid of that. I should I should give that to Goodwill. Right. And so I think you know, these tools to ask questions and the power of curiosity, you know, it's amazing how much. That can move you forward into a new set of choices and opportunities and ways to get unstuck.
1: The pandemic has certainly forced all of us to think very differently about that nine to five, the structures we've had in place, what success looked like completely on its head. I was looking into what started us off on this nine to five work week. And, you know, it started with Henry Ford. He structured a work week with these hours for his factory workers because he wanted two days of recreational time, because at the time when he was building cars, the cars were more for recreational activities because there weren't paved roads. So he structured work weeks to serve his business need and to force a Saturday of no work so that people would buy cars to go out on a Saturday. That was just kind of like mind-blowing to me that we are living in a construct that was designed to help him launch the uh, the vehicle into the market. We've kind of adapted to that. It's become our normal. But to your point, now that the world has changed, we get to resettle into something that hopefully will make us much more productive and happy human beings.
0: When I start to think about reworking or reconstructing work, I really think about the future of work kind of in, in four categories. I call it the four Ws. The first one is literally work. I mean, pause for a moment and ask yourself or your team, what is the work that needs to be done now? What outcomes are we trying to achieve? And is this work aligned to those outcomes? Very often, we will find people are working on work that no longer is relevant. We just don't know it. And for every organization, I know the nature of what the work is has shifted substantially in the past two years. Second W, workforce. Who needs to be doing this work? What skills do they need? And I think critically important, what are the highest aspirations of that workforce? So after work and workforce, third, workplace. Where does this work need to happen? When we come together, what is the purpose of that gathering? And how much of work or which work tasks could or should be asynchronous? And then fourth W, workflow. So what is the workflow, the underpinning of your technology and tools and knowledge management that
1: enable those shifts inside of your work, your workforce, and your workplace? That's a great way to think. What is the best use of time when we are together versus those days where we are our remote? I like the idea of actually sitting down and intentionally designing and thinking through that. And then I think probably rethinking every six months because our business is growing so, and changing so rapidly intentionally designing that experience.
0: Gathering with a purpose. Because it's not that 100% of employees are 100% opposed to returning to the office. The question they're asking is why? To what end? For what purpose? Like, what are we going to do there that requires my in-person presence? That's the piece that's missing. And I think what you said is so powerful is
1: be intentional. We really have to change the way we interact through our remote and virtual meetings Thinking about remote employees who can't come to the office, how we construct the interaction so that when we come together, whether we're physically coming together or virtually coming together, it can't just be a readout of information. Let's make that time together really, you know, work. But we just recently started thinking about this in the last couple of weeks, which is part of why I was like, let me talk to Karen. And because we are on this journey, which you've already been thinking about, Yeah. So thinking about my employees, I want them to feel uplifted in their work, to feel they can contribute, to feel they can be creative. I might be on the completely wrong path, but I I only have these like notions right now, Karen. But how can I help my employees to, you know, have good, good mental health? Success
0: begins with deep listening. And that's a skill that you have. I mean, I believe the three most powerful words in leadership are I hear you. Our workforce has shifted. Their needs have shifted. The expectation from employees of employers has shifted. We need to get deeply curious about our employee personas. Who are we serving now? What are their needs? And what is the purpose that they're seeking in this work that they're doing? And once we get more curious about that... The next piece is is critically important. You know, when I think about the foundation of any organization, you know, I think about what happens when the foundation of a building crumbles, right? Picture the office building that many of your workers go into each day. And what happens when there's little cracks in that foundation? Well, sometimes we don't notice it because there's beautiful landscaping in front of it, right? Well, the pandemic pulled that landscaping, All these beautiful perks and free coffee and other things we were doing pulled it away from the foundation. Lots of organizations discovered there are cracks. And when a building has cracks in its foundation, what happens? Well, it starts to settle in on itself and it will eventually cave in and collapse. That's what mental health in the workplace is like. There were cracks in the foundation before. And what we discovered during this time is what we've been settling for individually and collectively that may not serve us. I think some examples, you know, we settle for approval and what our deepest desire is for acceptance. You know, we settle for connections and what we're seeking is community. We settle for blending and what we're really seeking, our deepest desire that contributes to our mental health is belonging. And strengthening the foundation of any organization begins with re-examining your values. And this would be a powerful experiment you can take back and conduct with your team. And so can everyone listening and watching. It's called the Stress-Free Experiment. And this is all about how to strengthen your foundation as a person and also strengthen the foundation of your organization and and think about what you're building. And the Stress-Free Experiment is originally created by researchers at Stanford. And what they did is they took a group of university students who reported a high degree of burnout, anxiety, and uncertainty about the future that they felt was negatively contributing to their mental health, basically very similar to what you're describing. And there was a break coming up. And so the researchers at Stanford gave the students an assignment. They said for 10 minutes each day, you need to use a pen and paper and for 10 minutes write in a journal about anything that comes to mind. Sentence structure doesn't matter. Grammar doesn't matter. You don't even have to go back and read it. And then they selected a small group of students. They said, for you, we have a special assignment. What we want you to do is spend your 10 minutes each day writing about your one top value and how that value shows up in your everyday life. Well, After they reviewed the journal pages and studied the students in the months to follow, the discovery was shocking. The students who spent 10 minutes Even if they only did it one time, writing about their top value and how it showed up in their everyday life reported higher degrees of confidence, resilience, innovation, and lower degrees of burnout. Because here's what happened. When they reconnected with their values and discovered how those values showed up in their everyday life, their circumstances did not change. There were not fewer tests or papers or assignments or deadlines. What changed was their relationship with their circumstances. When you are thinking about mental health in the workplace, when you are thinking about strengthening the foundation of your team or your organization, return to your values. This experiment has been repeated thousands and thousands of times with everyone from executives to entrepreneurs and everything in between, and the results are the same. Reconnecting with your values is a tool to tap into greater resilience. And that's what we're all looking for right now. And resilience is a key factor in mental health and certainly mental health in the workplace.
1: Terrific. I was sitting here having sort of this big aha or oh crap moment as you were talking about pulling back the the uh, the plants and seeing the cracks in the foundation and that those cracks have been there. It's not like we have created something new. Like you said, it's been there. We've just been kind of ignoring it. The complete disruption that happened has forced all of us to look look at ourselves differently as we've had time to pause, created this impetus for change. We need to really rethink and engage and re-engage in our company values. I I love that. We actually do a pretty good job of that here at Lean Data. I have to say our CEO is very big on culture and values. Do the stated values
0: of your organization align with the stated values of the employees within it? (laughs) Are those the CEO's values or your employees' values? Does your say and do ratio match? I mean, does the stated experience of those values match the lived
1: experience of your employees? That's awesome. Yeah. I want to ask you as, a, as an individual in this new new world, tips or thoughts for for folks and how, how in this more remote virtual world, you sort of can show up and show that you're advancing in terms of your skill sets and career?
0: I think about, you know, career and career opportunities and being able to engage the leaders around you and investing in and celebrating your success and your progress. It's helpful if we can articulate that to the people around us in, in terms of education, experience, and exposure. So education, what do I want to learn next? Or what have I recently learned or mastered? Experience what have I recently tried or what would I like to try? Uh, And exposure, you know, who have I recently met or who would I like to meet? What types of people? And what I find is when we can be crystal clear about the conversation in that framework with a manager or in the skip level conversation, we help that person understand how to help us along our path to success. I mean, At our core, we all love to help others and hate to ask for help. And so the great paradox is most people stop just short of asking for the help they need to go to the next step in your career. Success begins with your story. I mean, when you show up in that skip level meeting or the meeting with the mentor and you never make the ask, how do they know how to help you? Instead, it becomes a wandering, aimless conversation and make it easy. Make it easy for them to understand what you want to learn next, what you want to experience next, what you want to try next, who you want to meet next, or what you've recently mastered or how you've made progress in those categories.
1: So that's great advice, remote or not. And you can do that remotely, even if you're having a Zoom conversation with that skip manager. What about engaging outside of the company, communities, social or blogs, Do you think that's something individuals should be thinking about when they tell their story? Should they be telling it outside of the four walls of their their hypothetical four walls, right, or virtual companies? Do you think that needs to be an important part of our our lives these days? It depends on your career objectives. I mean, if
0: your objective is to stay at the company you're at and continue to progress up through the ranks, or your next two promotions you picture might be internal, then you need to prioritize building a network internally. If what you're trying to do is build a broad network that can serve you, whether you're at the company or not, I would balance some time. If you're certain you're going to be looking for a job or failures might be ending, I do 100% outside. So I think it's very important to assess that at different stages. Networking for networking's sake is not something that most people enjoy. For many people, it's the task that will be put off for forever. And that's why it's important to be crystal clear about. Why am I doing this? Why am I trying to connect with this person? And how do I create a value exchange? And let me give you an example. I was thinking about even my own network, even with doing books and blogs and shows and podcasts, you know, I still have a following that follows a pretty consistent trend. I mean, I work in technology, so it's, you know, other technology people are very adjacent to what I do. I do thought leadership, so some other thought leaders are very adjacent. I'm a woman in senior leadership. So, okay, women in leadership, women in tech. Those are some predictable audiences for me. And I started thinking about, you know, what about the person working in finance? What about the entrepreneur? How do I reach and get to know them? And in my case, that value exchange became those Thrive Global and Authority Magazine interviews we were talking about. So I've now done almost 200 written pieces about people who are reworking work. Another 100 some odd of people who are redefining success. And here's what happens I'm offering to give you a platform to share your story in a thoughtful way. And in exchange, when that story goes live, you tend to follow me on social media and engage with other thought leadership because you want to see your piece. Why? Well, there's an actual connection in that network because there's a value exchange. I'd like to know you, I'd like to connect with you. And what I'm offering is. Platform for you to showcase and share your success and your story. So, just networking for networking's sake and empty clicking. I mean, is the person that you've never met that you connected with on LinkedIn really your next job? Not unless you are able to offer them some value first or in exchange. You know, asking a stranger for something is rarely a path to success unless you have something to offer. So, give to gain, create a value exchange, and understand the purpose behind that network. In my case, I'm motivated to be of service and contribute and make a bigger impact. And that means diversifying, you know, who's in my network and also exposing myself to new ideas and points of view. Those columns are creating that value exchange. And that's just one example.
1: Yes. Yeah. I love that. Really thinking about the intent of the interaction. All right. I have to ask you, you've been in tech. So I'm guessing you think a little bit about what might be coming in terms of technology advances that's going to impact or help us even more in this new normal of work?
0: What I'm encouraged by is the amount of innovation targeted at improving employee experiences and automating tasks that we might not enjoy or might be taking away from our opportunity to do value work. There is such a range of startups. I will share a few of my favorites. Or recent discoveries of technology companies that I think are really doing amazing things um, that have the potential to improve our experience. Uh, one is called the Emotional Salary Barometer. And what fascinates me about this company is at a certain point, what you get paid at your job is, you know, once you can pay your bills, is not as much about what or how much you're getting paid, it's about how you feel about it. So the emotional salary barometer has 10 contributing factors. So think about really getting into the psychology of how we feel about value and valued and the value exchange of money for work. Fascinating, going in a different direction of really employee experience, loyalty, You know what contributes to how we feel about the work we do. There's another startup in the robotics space that is going for what I consider a very high aspiration which is what would happen if every blue collar job could become a knowledge worker job? So imagine what would happen if, you know, someone who had a manufacturing line job as opposed to physically having to go into that space could be in front of a computer screen like a knowledge worker operating that same machinery using robotics. Wow, what might that change? Gift pack. Gift pack uses AI to study the preferences and personalization of employees to then match employer gifts in a way that is resonant with employees. So imagine if I studied, you know, what you post on social media, for example, and I use this algorithm and what I determined is that you love to travel, you love to cook and you love time with your family. And so now the gifts I recommend for you might not be the, you know, three-year service anniversary wall plaque or, you know, the coffee shop gift card. For you, I might recommend three choices that are an Airbnb gift certificate, a family photo shoot package, and, you know, an online cooking class with a chef or, you know, a subscription to Blue Apron. Their statistics about how that is improving employee engagement, loyalty, and satisfaction are astronomical. Uh, We've got others that are looking in the direction of how to diversify and broaden what happens with employee search so that you literally can use technology to help you attract, recruit, and create a greater sense of inclusion and belonging inside of organizations for candidates in every category, whatever diversity, you know, sort of you're seeking in your organization. There is so much happening in the space. And that's before we even touch on what's happening with the metaverse and augmented reality and virtual reality where people are picturing, you know, you could have the experience of what it feels like to be in an office and still be at home, uh, certainly early in its development. And you know, we'll see where it goes. But I, I had someone say to me the other day, it, I guess it looks like there's going to be a second
1: life for second life. I'm the same thing. <laughs> I remember when I first joined Cisco, we built a second life uh, island and yeah, where everybody was going to come. But it's reinvented in a very different way though. Now, thank you for that. That was, uh, yeah, amazing transformations happening. More to come, right? Buckle up. I have a couple of closing questions for you. Uh, what advice would you give to somebody who's just about to start and maybe their first completely remote role? Like they're not going to come in the co- into the office they've interviewed remotely and they're going to stay remote. Tips for them on how they get to know the company or engage with people ask upon starting that role or in its
0: very early stages, not just what you need to know, ask who you need to know and ask your manager and managers to put together a list for you and introduce you to build an internal network. And each person you meet with, ask that person who are three people I should meet. So focus very early on building your internal network. Second, Video is powerful. And I'm not just talking about having your video on during the meeting. That's table stakes. What I'm talking about is what would happen if instead of sending an email to someone, you took a moment to just record a two-minute video, even if it's with your phone. You had an opportunity to watch that video and make sure you're showing up how you wish to be seen. And then you sent that video. How much more personal and context-rich might that be? Very simple way,
1: very high ROI. Excellent tips. And final question, who would you most like to take to lunch?
0: Well, I always say my grandfather and I cook Sunday dinner for him every Sunday. So I guess that's probably not a fair question. Who I would most like to take to lunch at this present moment? I do have to think about that for a moment because there's so many people. Actually, you know what? It would be Priya Parker who wrote a book about gathering with purpose. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's called The Art of Gathering. And I'm so fascinated by her entire methodology and approach and believe it could be so transformative. And I've heard her speak. I would love to have lunch with her and pick her brain and ideally use it, we discover, to change the meeting culture.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much for today and sharing your frameworks and ways to think. This has been such a rich episode. For the opportunity to be here, I appreciate it. Thanks, Karen. Great day. Bye. The Upstars Podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com. And then make sure to search for OpStars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at OpStars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.